0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here this morning. We've got a lot of your questions we're going to try to answer today and we hope to get you to yours today. That's the way this program operates. We take viewers' questions I have a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen there. You can use them anytime time and get in touch with us. Tell us what you would like us to talk about on Know Your Bible and we will get to your question as quickly as we can. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Good to be back with you and ready to be answer back. a few questions here. Uh, we always start with one for our viewers just to see if you know a little bit of Bible information. A fellow named Demetrius in the New Testament. What was his occupation? What did he do for a living? and we 'll give you the answer at the end of the program. See if you and your family know what the answer to that one is. All right, Toby, I think you drew the first one today, so get us going.
1: Always a pleasure to answer <laughs> a question about bacon. Someone wants to know. Give me some scriptures about pork eating in the bible well there 's uh, different scriptures depending on which covenant you 're looking at uh, under the Old Testament, of course. Pork was considered an unclean food. God had a very specific list uh, that the Israelites were given of uh, foods that they could eat and foods that they could not eat, and they were very specifically defined. And of course, the reason we presume is to, uh, in fact, there's a great book written called "None of These Diseases," uh, where it kind of goes through and shows that uh, the danger of the foods on the unclean list that would oppose to uh, would have posed to people in that. Day where they didn't have modern technology and refrigeration and all of that. So if they avoided those foods, uh, they would stay away from, from trouble, and pork was one of those foods. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 7 through 8 is a verse that you, you ask for some verses about pork, and this is the Old Testament one. It says the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, does not chew but does not chew the cud is unclean to you you shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall not touch their carcasses they are unclean to you and so that was a pork was something that they were forbidden from eating uh, under the new testament however uh, that changed with the new covenant we didn't have as many uh, laws and restrictions, uh, if a person still chooses to abstain from pork, that's all right. But we are just not bound by the scriptures uh, under the new covenant. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, we'll look at this on the screen. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Uh, and then under uh, later on in the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul wrote, let no one pass judgment on you in regards of, in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Uh, so there's the uh, verses that you asked for. Of course, we're living under the new covenant today. No problem eating pork if you choose to.
0: All right. Thank you, Toby. Uh, I got a question about languages here. Let's see what our viewers found. In Acts 22, 1 through 16, New King James says that Paul spoke in Hebrew, but the New Living Bible says Aramaic Greek. Uh, why the difference? Well, the real question is about translations, I guess, but uh, uh, we've addressed that many times and how different translations have different. Uh, Translations of the the original language, uh, but let's talk about the languages here and why it said that. Maybe we can understand it a little bit. Uh, this is one of those questions that I got kind of interested in and took off and spent a whole lot of time learning about old languages and it was very interesting. But um, what what the original language says is that Paul spoke in the Hebrew dialect. Uh, so whatever the Hebrews the Jews spoke at that time is what he. Spoke in. If you go back and read the passage and go back into chapter 21, uh, Paul's in trouble. He's in Jerusalem and there's some folks that want him arrested. Uh, So a commander comes to arrest him and he speaks to the commander and says, Can I say something to you? And the commander was surprised. He said, Do you speak Greek? And he said, "I I thought you were the Egyptian. And Paul says, No, I'm a Jew. And so then he says, can I speak to the crowd? And then it says in chapter 21 that when he spoke to the crowd, he spoke to them in Aramaic, the NIV says. And said when they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Well, the original says uh, the Hebrew dialect. So there's a lot of languages in there. Now what happened is uh, the original Jews spoke Hebrew, classical Hebrew I guess you could call it, although I'm sure it changed over the centuries some, but Hebrew which is still available today and uh, the Hebrew Bibles written in it and all of that. But then they got conquered, they got taken into captivity, they went to all different countries, and so the languages changed through the centuries. Uh, the Assyrians conquered them first and it's interesting the Assyrians had also conquered Aram so they spoke Aramaic because it was a lot simpler language than Assyrian. So Aramaic became a very popular language or in use. Then the Babylonians conquered them, then the Persians conquered them, and then the Alexander the Great came through and started people speaking Greek. So. The Promised Land, Palestine, all that, had all these languages coming and going through it. Uh, So a lot of people still knew Hebrew. Uh, They spoke some Aramaic generally. Uh, In Paul's day, a lot of them spoke Greek. So all that's coming together. And when the translator sat down, it says he spoke the Hebrew dialect. Well, most people agree that the Jews at that time spoke common language. They spoke Aramaic a lot. So, that's what one translator put in there is he spoke in Aramaic because that was the Hebrew dialect. So, anyhow, that's where it comes from. Uh, probably more information than you wanted about that. But uh, it's just the difference in a translator trying to make it as understandable as possible. And the Hebrew dialect at the time was Aramaic. So, one says one thing and one says another. So, I hope that clears that up for you and gives you a language lesson too. <laughs>
1: it's a full learning program. We, are. <laughs> we, we got it all. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, a viewer asks, is, is uh, more of a statement followed by a question. I'm a conservative who does not like giving money to welfare programs, but I hear liberals saying that I should help the poor. Are my feelings in conflict with my Christianity? Uh, well, uh, I think the answer to your question centers around the word help and how you go about that. Uh, here's some scriptures that speak about the poor, and there's many throughout the Bible. These are just ones from Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 5, Whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their Maker. Proverbs 19:17, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 29, 7, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs 31, 9, Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Well, uh, I think... And of course, Jesus said poor people would always be with us. Uh, and so we have to underst- or think, use our brains as Christians, how to help these folks. I think personally that generosity is a wonderful spirit among God's people. I think it's very natural. Um, but um, the question is, how do you help the poor? And some people think you know, that money uh, should be taken by force. Uh, and then distributed as a a select few see fit. And uh, other people think, well, I I think generosity should be be done individually, personally, and maybe through the churches voluntarily. Um, I personally tend to side with the latter argument. I think it's more efficient. I think churches and faith-based programs do a lot more good. There's a lot less waste, a lot less corruption. And I think they help, frankly, a lot more people. Um, That's not to say that... uh, People that are getting help from government programs are bad or anything like that. It's just, uh, as anyone who's dealt with that system can tell you, it's very inefficient, and uh, it doesn't usually tend to help in the way it intends to. So there's no argument that... uh, godly people should look out for the poor, think about them, care for them and help them as best as they can the question really is how do we go about that and the scripture seems to indicate that generosity is a personal decision, Uh, giving is um, benevolent should be uh, something that the church was uh, charged to do taking care of widows and orphans and things of that nature so should, should you help the poor? Yes I think you should you should do it with your own money of your own free will but I'll hasten this to say you don't really get an option. (laughs) You should pay your taxes and you should uh, be a contributing member of society. And yes, I understand it's frustrating, but uh, that shouldn't stop us from trying to do the good that we can personally and with our churches. So let's look at one other verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 through 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should decide what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, so I hope that helps.
0: All righty. We don't want to enter the no spin zone here on this question, but I <laughs> mean just say you, you, you said it right. We do have to pay our taxes, yeah. uh, and however that's used is we control somewhat by our vote, which we right. ought to do. Sure. Uh, but Christians still have this responsibility. Absolutely, and, and yeah. And we yeah. ought to do it in the best ways we can. A few months ago at uh, Northside here in Wichita we had a work camp mm-hmm. and the kids came from, teenagers came from many states and came to paint houses for people that couldn't afford to have their own house painted and things. Uh, I think that fits all of those proverbs verses there where we're mm-hmm. trying to do something to help people and I think that's a good thing. Still got a pair of taxes yep. but uh, We probably painted those houses a lot more efficiently than the (laughs) federal government could in our opinion. But uh, anyhow, you answered that very well. All right, let me talk about a good way to study the Bible. We like to study the Bible here with you for few minutes every week but uh, there's a lot more in there than we'll ever get to so we advocate home Bible study and we've got some free Bible lessons that we're happy to send you uh, free of charge all you do is call or log on and tell us you'd like to study the Bible with this course and we start with this basic Introduction course that just kind of introduces you to the Bible and helps you get familiar with the Old Testament and the New Testament and a few main topics of the Bible. And then we've got a lot more courses beyond this one that can keep you studying the Bible for quite a while. So uh, thousands of folks have taken us up on that over the years and let us know that they really learned a lot about the Bible. So give us a call, log on, tell us you'd like that course. We'll send you the first lesson. You can see if you like it, and if you do, you can keep right on studying. Uh, If it's something that's not helpful, you can quit at any time, and we won't bother you in any way. We just want you to study the Bible. We found this to be a good way to do it. So give us a call. All right, we got a question about wearing crosses here. viewer says, is wearing a cross around your neck An acknowledgement of being a Christian? Well, when I first read that question, I thought, well, no, of course, wearing a cross doesn't prove anything. Uh, But then I read it again, and he says there's an acknowledgement of being a Christian. It's not a proof of being a Christian. Anybody can wear a cross. Uh, Just because you've got one on doesn't mean you even know who Christ is. You may just think it's a pretty piece of jewelry. I don't know. But the way the viewer worded it, is it an acknowledgement of being a Christian? And I'd say yes, in general. Uh, if you're wearing a cross, you're acknowledging or indicating uh, that you somehow believe in Jesus or have some Christian leanings, at least. Uh, the example I thought of was I've got a number of uh, Wichita State Shocker t shirts and when I wear them out in public, especially if I'm away from Wichita, they don't get a whole lot of attention in Wichita, but I uh, wore one in Colorado a few months ago, and uh, two or three people stopped me the day I had one on and said, hey, go Shockers, and another one said, hey, I graduated from Wichita State. And, uh, so they saw my T-shirt, and it was an indication that I have some interest in the shockers. Now, it didn't prove how much interest I had. It didn't prove whether I was a way committed fan or just a casual fan or uh, you couldn't tell anything like that. But by wearing it, I at least said, yeah, I approve of the shockers. So, uh, so this viewer's question is wearing a cross acknowledgment of Christianity, somehow? Yeah, I think probably so in general. Now, some people object to wearing religious jewelry like that, and let me tell you why. Uh, there is a danger in it, and the danger is indicated in Matthew chapter 23 5. Let's look at that verse. It's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. He said, The Pharisees do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Now, if you don't know much history, you don't understand that. Let me show you a picture of a modern-day Jew uh, and what he has up there on his forehead. That's a phylactery. It's a little box with scriptures in it. And you see his shawl there that has fringes on it. Uh, the longer they are supposedly proves how religious he is. So, what Jesus said about them, the Pharisees, not this fellow here, he's probably a very (laughs) fine fellow, but Jesus said of the Pharisees, they make their phylacteries large. They put big boxes on their head that proves they got a lot of scriptures on their mind, and then they make their fringes long to show how religious they are. And he says the only reason they do that is to be seen of man. Uh, they they want the applause of men and the approbation of men and all that. So uh, there's a danger there in wearing crosses and other things to prove how religious you are. So uh, be a little aware of that. But to answer the viewer's question, uh, honestly, I think, yeah, if you wear a cross, you probably indicate you're kind of friendly to Christianity anyway.
1: And if oh. you're going to wear one, make sure that you're representing it well, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. you know.
0: I, I have seen people with in fact, one yeah. pastor guy I know, he wears a huge cross, a great big thing around his neck, and I always think oh, that's a little bit showy. You know,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't question his motives really, but I just think Man, that's a little gaudy. It's yeah. kind of getting close to broad <laughs> phylactery is there?
1: <laughs> All right. The next question is a, a tough one. Uh, the viewer asks: Shouldn't we forgive others when they wrong us? And my answer is you should only forgive others uh, if you want forgiveness from God. And that's exactly what Jesus said. Uh, so the answer to the question, of course, is yes. And I think forgiveness as a concept is a, is a, a lovely idea, as C.S. Lewis said, uh, until you have something that you have to forgive, and that's not as easy. Accepting, receiving forgiveness and mercy uh, is a wonderful blessing and gift. Uh, giving it out is uh, much more challenging in some cases. and But in the very word itself, forgiveness reminds me that forgiveness is really forgiving. Uh, it's not just the receiving of God's mercy, but it's also the extending of that in the same way we've been shown. And so, yeah, if you're uh, a follower of Christ and a believer in the Lord Jesus Uh, That's one of the responsibilities that comes, one of the the price tags, if you will, of of receiving his mercy is being willing to show that to other people uh, in your daily life with your friends, family, uh, even perfect strangers. Got to be willing to let stuff go and uh, understand uh, how much God has forgiven you. Scripture kind of calls it a debt. if Thinking about uh, financial terms, if you owe some money. Uh, and the person to whom you owe it says, you know what, forget about it. it it's done, it's not, I'm not even going to consider it a debt. Uh, boy, that's a wonderful thing. Much harder, however, when someone owes you money uh, to uh, extend that grace to other people. But we're called to do that. Uh, this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 uh, through 14. When he's talking about prayer, he says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. They're very serious about it. And I think the most important phrase of that verse is the three words, as we also. Uh, as much forgiveness as you want, uh, that's as much forgiveness as you have to extend to other people. So the answer is Yes can be challenging sometimes, but that's what Jesus did for us, and that's what his followers are called to do for others. All righty. A dream question
0: here. Does God still communicate to us through dreams? Well, certainly read about that in the Bible, about different men and women that received dreams or visions from God and gave them specific instructions about things. A viewer wants to know, does he still do that? Well, a couple of things we don't understand. Uh, Number one, we don't understand dreams. And number two, we don't understand how the mind works for sure. Uh, So we have dreams and we get answers to our questions sometimes. We go to bed wondering about something. uh, What should I do about this? And maybe when we wake up in the morning, it's clear to us. It's been clarified. Uh, Maybe we wake up and we finally understand some verse or something that we've been trying struggling with to understand what that means for me. And so it's easy to say, well, God revealed that to me in a dream. Now, we don't know how the mind works. We don't know how dreams work. Uh, But God created the mind and I'm going to be generous enough to let Him use it any way He wants. Uh, If He wants to reveal, clarify something to us in our mind some way. That's fine with me. Uh, what we do know for sure about this question is, is that God doesn't reveal anything new to us. He doesn't give us any new revelation that's not in the Bible uh, because He said so. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 and verse 1 made it very clear. Uh, let's look at that. He said, "...long ago, at many times and in many ways," God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And remember, he just said in many ways. That includes dreams and visions and all kinds of things. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So, what that verse says is in the old days, God communicated things to people, he spoke to Abraham. He sent angels to talk to Abraham. Uh, He sent prophets to spoke spoke to David. He had a specific message for David one time, and he sent Nathan the prophet to tell David what God said. So he spoke in, in many ways and through the prophets and through dreams and through visions and lots of things. But the writer says, but now he's spoken through his son. Jesus came, told us what we needed to know. In fact, the Bible says it's got... Everything that pertains to life and godliness in it. So we've got all the doctrine, all the teaching, all the advice we need to get through life. So he's not going to give us some wonderful new revelation that now I want this or this means this. Uh, that's not going to happen in a dream. Uh, so as long as you understand that, if you want to say that God clarified this for me somehow in, in my mind that, I can't prove you wrong. I don't know exactly how God uses the mind and helps us sort through things in this life. But he doesn't communicate to us like he used to in dreams is what I'm trying to say. So hopefully that explains that a little bit. Let's talk about a good place to... Visit a church if you happen to live in the Great Bend area. Uh, Let's talk about the Great Bend Church of Christ. Uh, Find a bunch of folks out there. Chuck Marshall preaches there and I know you'd enjoy hearing him. If you live in that area Uh, and you're just looking for a church home or maybe you just want to know some more about Know Your Bible, uh, stop in at the Great Bend Church of Christ. Chuck would be glad to explain things to you and help you with that. good bunch of folks out there. Of course, we are sponsored by the Churches of Christ. Uh, Home Church and Northside Church of Christ keeps us on the air here along with a lot of other folks around the country. So, uh, we uh, like to talk about a few of them each week and uh, today we sponsored our kind of highlighted the Great Bend Church of Christ, drop in and give them a visit. Maybe you know somebody that goes to that church. Uh, just tell them, hey, I saw you all know your Bible the other day and appreciate you keeping that program on the air for me. So visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Toby, got a uh, medical <laughs> question here. <laughs> right.
1: If you were asked the question, where in the Bible does it talk about drinking and smoking pot? Uh, drinking alcohol is mentioned in the scripture. Uh, rarely is it mentioned in anything, a, a positive light. And of course, drunkenness is forbidden. Smoking pot is not addressed at all that we know of in the scripture. Uh, uh, so we've got to work with it on some principles. Uh, first of all, in regard to alcohol, let's look at Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 through 32. Uh, the proverb says, uh, the writer says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife, complaints, needless bruises, bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. So, pretty clear warning there. And the Proverbs, of course, is all about how to be wise. And seems to me saying if you want to be a wise person, uh, you're better to avoid it. Um, the second uh, question about uh, smoking pot, of course, we don't have a verse for that. So speaking of principles that we want to think of, uh, first is uh, the idea that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And of course, pot is a drug. Uh, it's not good for your body. And many studies have shown that it's harmful, hurtful, opens you Tend to go to stronger and stronger drugs afterward uh, while using it, um, so it's it's uh, violating. It's it's not taking care of the temple on which the Holy Spirit lives. In if you're a Christian, uh, the second principle I think really violates uh, is that letting something else master you, letting something else control you. Second Peter chapter two, verses nineteen and twenty. It's not on the screen, but it's uh, one you can look up at home. And uh, you know we shouldn't be giving ourselves over to anything that masters us or that enslaves us. First uh, Peter five eight says we should be self controlled and alert. And I think certainly anyone who's smoking marijuana is uh, neither of those things, generally speaking. And finally, is a. Christian, we need to set a good example for others, and uh, doing those things certainly uh, does not. In most cases, it's breaking the law. I realize laws are changing, uh, but uh, certainly it's not something that Christians uh, should be involved with or partaking of. Uh, let's read now, Titus chapter two, verses eleven through twelve. The grace of God has appeared to all people. It offers salvation that <coughs> has appeared, offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. Uh, to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So, certainly not appropriate or wise uh, to be using either of those substances.
0: All I think we got time to squeeze one quick one in. Viewer says, Why do preachers make everything right or wrong instead of talking about do all things in moderation? Well I'm not sure I can speak for all preachers and I'm not sure all preachers do that. But I think I get (laughs) the guy's point uh, of this that there are some things that aren't black and white. Uh, there are some things that you ought to are okay to do. You ought to do them in moderation. And I understand the question. Uh, the Bible actually doesn't say do all things in moderation. That's not a Bible verse. Uh, let me put two up that are in the Bible that are pretty close. Philippians 4, 5 says, Let your moderation be known to all men. So we ought to be temperate. And then the second one is uh, 1 Corinthians 9:25. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. And he's talking about athletes there, that they're moderate in things. So. Uh, it's a little bit in the Bible, but not exactly. All right, let's get our trivia question answered for the day. Uh, what was the occupation of Demetrius? Demetrius was a silversmith and uh, got in all sorts of trouble uh, because of his occupation being taken away by p- teaching about Jesus. All right, we're glad you've been with us today. We hope you come back next week. Till then, you have a great week. The